Well, this morning, we are beginning a new series. It's going to be a six-week series entitled, Speak of the Devil. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to be zeroing in on Satan. And we're going to be looking at Satan from his beginning to his end. We'll be looking through the course of this series about how he works and how we can be victorious through Christ over him. 500 years before Christ, a man wrote a book entitled The Art of War. His name was Sun Tzu. And this is a book that's been studied for gener- by generals even up to this day for strategy in war. And this is what he said. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. And so we want to know our enemy. We recognize as Christians we have an enemy, right? We recognize he's a very powerful enemy. And so we need to know about the one who is the enemy of our souls. So this morning as we speak of the devil, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and join me in Ezekiel chapter 28. Going way back in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 28, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 17. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 715. Ezekiel 28. Follow along with me. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. 
You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to us. Now, at first glance, when we look at Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 uh, to 19, it talks about a human king, the king of Tyre. And judgment is being pronounced upon him. Now, the nation of Tyre was known for exploiting its neighbors. They were known as being unscrupulous merchants. Tyre was the center of idolatry and sexual immorality. The biblical prophets over and over again rebuked Tyre for its pride brought on by its great wealth and its immorality. But as the writer of Ezekiel, as Ezekiel is writing, we see a description as he's pronouncing a lamentation upon the king of Tyre that goes beyond any mere human king. And most Bible uh, students agree that what we find in Ezekiel chapter 28 is a passage that looks past the human king to the one who empowered this human king. Because certainly, as, we're, as we've just read and as we're going to analyze together, many of the statements made here in Ezekiel 28 cannot refer to a mere human king. So what we're doing is we're seeing in this, picture, in this passage a picture of Satan before his fall. Think of some of the terms that are used here. He was on the mountain of God. He was in the garden of Eden. He was a guardian cherub. No mere human man could that be set up. And so we are going to see in this passage, and in a parallel passage, we'll be going to a little bit later in Isaiah chapter 14, two passages that look beyond the human that they are denouncing to the one who empowers that human being. So we are going to be looking at Satan. And we're going to see this morning who he is. Now as we do this, first of all, I want us to recognize who he is not. There's some things that are believed about Satan that are not true. And so the first one is this. Satan is not a cartoon-like character. Uh, maybe you've seen pictures like this. He's commonly depicted, you know, dressed up in a red suit with a tail and carrying around a pitchfork that he goes around and he stabs people with. This is not Satan. I think Satan loves it when people think this is what he is like because it greatly underplays who he really is. He is not a cartoon-like character. The second thing I want you to know, that he is not equal with God. I mean, there is this concept 
that we have like two forces. You know, Star Wars kind of plays this out. A, a good force and an evil force. And these two forces are almost equal in power and they battle through the centuries. And sometimes the good comes out on top and sometimes the bad comes out on top. Listen, God is totally in control. And Erwin Lutzer, in a book that he's written on Satan, calls him God's devil. He's God's devil. Satan did not want to serve God, and yet we're going to see that he can't do anything without permission from God. You know, the book of Job lays that out for us. Satan cannot touch Job without God first giving him permission to do so. He is not equal with God. We serve the omnipotent, almighty God that even Satan is subservient to. Next thing that I want us to know of who he is not, he is not someone who's afraid of you. He's not afraid of you. Now, I know there are a lot of deliverance ministries out there that that talk about you taking on Satan and that you are powerful enough to take Satan on. Look, Satan was the highest creature that God made. He is a very powerful being. He is so powerful that even Michael the archangel does not directly rebuke Satan, but says, that, but says God rebuke you. You are no match for Satan. And if you think that you are, you are filled with the same pride that caused him to come to a fall. Now, when I say that, we don't need to be uh, shuddering in fear of Satan because greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. See, we are no match for Satan and Satan is no match for God. You see that? See, Satan must do what God tells him to do. He doesn't have to do what you tell him to do. So he is not someone who is afraid of us. Well, in order to understand who he is, I want us to see who he was. Look at it in Ezekiel 28 with me. In verse 12, the last part of it, it says, you were the signet of perfection. I want you to know that when Satan, when Lucifer was created, he was created perfect. He was not created sinful. God does not create sin. Satan was created perfect. Secondly, we're told in the end of verse 12, he was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. 
full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. If you were to see Satan as he really is, his appearance would dazzle you. His appear- he was made by God with great beauty. I believe the highest creation of God. Next, we see that he was in Eden, verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, commentators differ on exactly what's being talked about here when he is in the garden of God. Now, obviously, we know he was in the Garden of Eden because, as we'll see next week, when we look at Genesis chapter 3, he is there and he tempts Adam and Eve to sin. So we know he was in that Eden. But there appears to be an Eden that was before the throne of God as well. If you look down in the passage, at the end of verse 14, it talks about that Satan was in the midst of the stones of fire where he walked. It appears that before the holy God, there were, and you know, I think Ezekiel, uh, even underneath of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, struggles to try to dis- describe this heavenly scene But there were stones of fire that are referred to as a kind of like a a huge rock, beautiful rock garden that also showed the holiness of God. So some say when it says you were in Eden, they're relating it to the Garden of Eden from Genesis. Others are saying, well, being in Eden means there was an Eden in heaven before the very throne of God. But he was in Eden Next thing that I want us to see is that he reflected the glory of God. In verse 13, it talks about all the precious stones that were there. Now, keep in mind, as light emanates from God, from his holiness. Remember the new Jerusalem, there's no need of the sun there. Why? Because of the brightness, the light that emanates from the very presence of God. Now imagine before the presence of God, this being who's right there by the throne of God, and he's, he has all these precious stones, like a vest that he is wearing. This is very similar to the vest that the high priest of the Old Testament wore. And it's made up of all these precious stones of Sardis, that would be a deep red. Some think it's uh, similar to the ruby. The topaz, which would be yellowish green. A diamond, clear. The burl of a a sea green color. Uh, The onyx represents whiteness. They compare it to like the whiteness that is part of your fingernail. Uh, The jasper. And jaspers come in all kinds of different colors, but fitting with the scheme here, they think it would be a green color. The sapphire, the color of the sky. The emerald, green, interspersed with golden uh, spots. And the carbuncle, which they believe would be of a flame color. Now imagine light hitting that and how it would reflect all of that light in this rainbow 
of different colors that are shown there. Satan was originally created to reflect the glory of God. Next, I believe that Satan was the chief worship leader in heaven. You say, well, where do you get that at from the passage, Butch? At the end of verse 13, after it talks about all these precious stones, it says this. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. Now, at the bottom of the page in uh, my Bible, it says, the meaning of the Hebrew phrase is uncertain. So, there's a division among Hebrew scholars as to what's being talked about here. Some says that, say that what's being talked about here refers to the gold settings that the stones would, would set into. Others, however, say whenever these words are used elsewhere in the, the Bible, they refer to a musical instrument, a tambourine, an instrument that was played It was used in the Old Testament in the praise and worship of God. So it has caused some to conclude, and I would agree with this, that Satan was the chief worship leader in all of heaven. In fitting with his vest of these many stones that are reflecting the glory of God, he was created to lead the worship of the heavens in praise of God. That would help to explain all the fights that go on in churches over music, wouldn't it? It's too loud. It's not loud enough. I don't like that instrument. I want other instruments. The battles have gone on. The music's too lively. The music's too somber. The music... Makes a lot of sense to me that Satan, the chief worship leader of heaven. You know, uh, Charles Spurgeon used to talk about the devil, and he would say that Satan fell from heaven and landed in the choir loft. And so, uh, due to the, the, the problems that we have with all of our different musical tastes and things, I believe that Satan was that chief worship leader. In heaven, he was an anointed cherub. In verse 14, you were an anointed guardian cherub. Part of his role was to defend the very throne of God. He was on, verse 14, the holy mountain of God. And we are told in verse 15, you were blameless in your ways. From the days you were created. Now keep in mind there. Satan is a created being. He was made by God. And he was originally blameless. That is who he was. But as Jesus said in Luke 10, 18. He said to them. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan fell from the position that he was in. So let's look at not who he was now, but who he is. 
Look in verse 15. He is, first of all, he is unrighteous. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till there comes a moment that unrighteousness was found in you. Verse 16. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence. Satan is violent. Verse 16. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. Satan is profane. Verse 17, your heart was proud because of your beauty. Satan is filled with pride. He is proud. And you know, pride is really at the root of all sin. You know, one thing that helps me to remember that in the English language, when we spell sin, how do we spell it? S-I-N. Right in the middle. It's I. It's about me. Pride, right in the middle. P-R, what? I-D-E. It's always about me and what I want rather than what God wants. And we can easily be filled with pride even as Satan was filled with pride. Years ago, Muhammad Ali was on an airplane when the stewardess went by and told him to fasten his seatbelt. He replied, Superman don't need no seatbelt. The stewardess quickly replied, Superman don't need no airplane. So buckle up. Proper perspective. We can become filled with pride. Now over in a parallel passage in Isaiah chapter 14, and if you want to turn there, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 578. We have there a description of the king of Babylon. But once again, the passage goes beyond the king of Babylon to the one who empowers the king of Babylon. Listen to the words that are used there. Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14. I, see one, I think once again you'll see right from the very beginning that this cannot refer to just a human being. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, now follow with me, there are going to be five statements that Satan makes. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. What does he say? I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. Not content to be the highest created being. Not content to be right there at the throne of God. He says, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. Number two, I will set my throne on high. 
Satan is going to lift his throne, he says, so that his throne is at the same level as God's throne. Number three, I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I am going to sit right up there with you, God. Not beneath you, but with you. Number four, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And number five, I will make myself like the Most High. Not content of being right beneath God. Not content to be the one that totally reflects the glory of God throughout all the heavens. No, he is going to become equal with God. And one thing we're going to find as we go through this study, Satan is the great counterfeiter. He is not original. He is always trying to copy what is God's and take it for himself. This is the pride that has filled his heart. That he is going to become like God. And in a sense, even above God. We need to beware of this pride and this conceit. That's why the Apostle Paul, when giving the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3, 6, says that the one who will be put in this office, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Satan is the one who brought pride, who brought sin into the very heavens. Now, one of the things we don't know is we know that Satan has fallen. We know the position he was in, and we know he's fallen. But we don't know when that occurred. We do know it happened before what we read in Genesis chapter 3. Because in Genesis chapter 3, that we'll be looking at next week, where Satan tempts Adam and Eve, and where sin enters our world, Satan has already fallen at that point. But how long was he in the heavens as the highest created being? How long were Adam and Eve on the earth before Satan came and tempted them? We don't know whether it was hours, weeks, months, or years. We just know that it occurred in the past. Now the next thing I want us to see and know in this introductory message about Satan is that Satan is revealed by his names and his titles. Throughout the scripture he is given different names, different titles, and as we see these names and titles we will get a glimpse into who he really is. He is called Lucifer. It really means the light bearer, the shining one. The devil, which means a slanderer. He's called Satan. Satan is the accuser or the adversary. 
He's called the serpent. We will see that serpent in the Garden of Eden next week. He is revealed as the serpent in the book of Revelation. As we'll point out next week, never in Genesis 3 is the snake, is the snake called Satan. It's the serpent. But Revelation reveals to us that the serpent is indeed Satan. He's called the son of the dawn. He's called the anointed cherub. Now, in our studies in the past, we've talked about angels. And, you know, when I've talked about angels, especially uh, on, on Easter or on Christmas, I'll talk about that the angels, as they appear, they don't appear to have wings. And it always comes back to the the question, well, what about the seraphim? What about the cherubim? Yes, the seraphim and the cherubim do have wings. That's very clear. Uh, We see in the, the scriptures. But are the seraphim and cherubim the same as regular angels? Or are they a different class of angels? Or are they a different class of beings? But he was the anointed cherub. And the cherubim's role seems to be that role of protecting the throne of God. And he was specifically set aside. He's referred to as the tempter. The one who will come and tempt us to sin. He is the ruler of the demons. When Satan falls from heaven, he takes a third of the angelic host with him. He is their ruler. I believe those fallen angels are the demons that we see throughout the scriptures and the demons who are in operation in our world today. He's called the evil one. Make no mistake about it. Satan does not want good for you. He wants evil for you. He's called the enemy. And certainly he is the very enemy of God And because we are created in the image of God, he is our enemy as well. He is a liar. And he is the father of lies. Jesus revealed that whenever he speaks, he speaks lies. Oh, he sometimes tells half-truths. But a half-truth is not the whole truth. He's a murderer. We will see in a couple weeks, he is, a, he is the one who is the, behind the murder of Abel by his brother Cain. He is the ruler of this world. He is the God of this age. Uh, make no mistake about it. All the false religions that we have in the world, they are really worshiping demons and worshiping Satan himself. He is an angel of light. He can appear as an angel of light and thus be so deceiving. He's called Belial, which means ruthless one. He's referred to as adversary. He's called the Roaring Lion. And he is the deceiver 
of the whole world. Why is it that people, when we present them the gospel, the good news, why is it that some do not believe? Because they're deceived by Satan. Remember in the parable of the sowers, it talks about the birds that will come and take away the seed. And Jesus reveals that's the evil one who has come because he has deceived the whole world. So what are we to do? 1 Peter 5.8 tells us we are to be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan wants to destroy you if you're a Christian. So practically, what, what do we, how do we make this applicable to us today? First of all, for believers, know your enemy. Don't underestimate him. Be aware of who he is and how he operates. And in the coming weeks, we'll be talking about and seeing how he operates and how we can have victory over him. Because we're told in the scriptures, we are to resist the devil and he will what? He'll flee from us. See, we don't take him on. We resist him through the power of God and he will flee. So we need, as believers, to know who our enemy is. Now, we don't need to be totally preoccupied with him. See, the two mistakes that are made about Satan are, number one, he is underestimated. Eh, We're not sure that this character really exists, or he's really there, or he's at work. And we underestimate what he's capable of. The other mistake that we can make is we become totally preoccupied with him. And so we are so focused on him that we don't focus the one that he was created to worship, and that is God himself. Our focus doesn't need to be on our enemy, but our focus needs to be on our God, the one that we serve. We're aware of our enemy, but we focus on our almighty God that Satan is no match for. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you've heard the gospel and you haven't believed, please know there is one that is seeking to keep you from believing. See, Satan knows he's defeated. And Satan knows he's going to go down and he's going to go down in flames. But he wants to take as many people with him as he can. And dear friend, if you've heard the gospel and the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart that there is salvation in Christ and in Christ alone and you are not believing, it's because you have been blinded by the evil one who is deceiving you of the greatest news that anyone can ever give to you, that there is life and salvation in Christ and in him alone. So why not recognize it for what it is this morning? And put your faith and trust in him. The second thing that we need to understand as we make application to our lives is this. God threw Satan out of his position in heaven. And ultimately, 
God is going to throw Satan into the lake of fire where he will be forever and ever and ever. Matter of fact, the lake of fire was not created for human beings. It was created for Satan and his followers. So knowing that, we can live in the victory that we have, knowing that our God is the omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful God. And we should focus and worship and praise. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for how clear your word is. And Father, we pray that you will help us. That we might know our enemy. And knowing him and knowing how he works that we will be able in the power of your spirit to resist him. Help us, Father, as your children to do what you've called us to do, to praise and worship you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.